0: Welcome to the Word of Grace podcast. As a community, we exist to love on God with all that we are and to share his grace with everyone. If you want to connect with us more, head to social media or wordofgracechurch.com. Here's today's episode. We're in a series called Transformed, um, looking at what God wants to do in each and every one of our lives. And before we dive in, um, I do want to say a a big happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Anybody here Irish? No? Did anybody did anybody eat or drink anything green this weekend? All right, so no salad eaters? There's something wrong with us then. We were really, I thought we were healthier than that. Come on, <laughs> you know? Like, for real. Like, see, that's called a trick question. If I'm going to be up here, and y'all are going to be out there today, and there's a few less people than normal, you're going to be forced to play my games, yeah? Because I need to know that you're there. I think Tosin said, hey, can everybody come forward this morning? Guess what? You're still at the back. So I'm going to be asking questions. It's going to be audience participation. But honestly, I was thinking about St. Patrick this weekend. Uh, And then, you know, I was thinking about the story. How many of you guys know the story of St. Patrick? Uh, How many of you guys just know that it's related to green beer or something like that, right? Okay. (laughs) Look, if you don't know the story of St. Patrick of Ireland, please go look it up. It's an incredible story because number one, he wasn't from Ireland. He was from Britain, from Roman heritage, fifth century believer. And basically, in a nutshell, his story is really simple. At 16, he was abducted by a group of raiders from the Irish, you know, from Ireland, from that island. It's really tricky to say island of Ireland, it gets really weird. So, a group of raiders came and abducted him as a 16 year old, and six years he spent in captivity. And it was during that time of captivity that he found an incredibly deep trust in God's character during his valley that he realized how real God could be. And God miraculously helped him to escape from his captivity. He was able to go back to Britain, reconnect with his family. But what gets really crazy is what happened then. He received a vision from the Lord calling him to go back to the people who took him captive and minister to them and love them and to be with them and to show them Jesus. After escaping back to Britain, he had this vision, and he spent his entire life then ministering to and ministering among the people who had previously enslaved him. That's the story of Patrick of That's a pretty crazy story, right? Talk about doing the unthinkable, doing what seems completely irrational and crazy, loving those who persecute us. And today, as we pick up in the Word, this is exactly where Paul is going to take us. We're going to talk about counterformation, doing things that our world thinks are crazy, and how Jesus and Paul and so many of the writers in the New Testament call us to live in ways that make the world kind of scratch their heads sometimes. So as we're going to get into the Word, we're going to look at the, the fact that how Jesus calls him to follow his lead as his disciples You know, that takes us into some some places that contradict the world around us. Amen? Let's open up to Romans chapter 12. We're going to read verses 14 to 16 today. That's going to be our text. Paul says this, verse 14, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position, and do not be conceited. Let's pray together and dig into the word. Lord, this is clearly one of those passages that we need your help with, because this isn't something that comes naturally to us. So Father, we we just open our hearts today. We know that obeying your word, especially Commands like this in your word takes us totally out of our comfort zone into the place where we need your grace, where if you don't show up, it ain't happening, God. So we ask, Lord, Holy Spirit, come and speak to us today. Talk to us about our rhythms and the way we act, particularly with those who maybe are coming against us at times. God, we give you permission to transform our lives again. We ask you to meet us here. We ask you to not leave us the same, And we trust that if we'll step out in faith that you'll meet every need we have along the way because of your goodness, because you're faithful and true. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So reading verse 14 through 16, how many of you guys heard those words, those commands from Paul and thought, hey, that sounds like our world in 2023? No? Okay, good. Me neither. um, Because that sounds absolutely nothing like the world that we see around us, right? Blessing those who persecute us. You know, not being conceited, those kind of things. Let's be real. Following Jesus will make you different in the world that we live in. Can I get an amen today? Can I can I know you're out there? Following Jesus will make you look different. It will make you act different. You know, we've been working our way through a discipleship journey and our follow-together rhythm that we started at the beginning of the year, and one of the things in there uh, from week five, I think it was, it says this, disciples of Jesus live by a different standard. We have a different standard for what it means to follow Jesus, and and that causes us to do things that are different. You know, to paraphrase Dave Buring, he says this, being a disciple is not about attending church, giving, serving, being baptized, or knowing a bunch of stuff. Those are good things, true, but Jesus calls us to more. He calls us to a whole life commitment where we allow him to shape us every day. We allow him to be hands-on with us every day, and Paul gives us some commands here, and they sound really intense, right? Anybody else, this is an intense passage of scripture, right? Maybe they even seem to you and me like, hey, it's wishful thinking that I would be able to do this. (laughs) And, you know, why is that? Why does it sound so intense to us? You know, obviously it's not normal for us, but why? Why does it sound foreign? I think it's really simple because in reality, none of us comes to Jesus as a blank slate. Right? None of us comes to him as an unwritten page. We come to him already formed in some ways. Already with rhythms and patterns and things instilled in us. We've already been taught how to do things in our lives, particularly like how we treat our enemies. We've been taught how to punch back when somebody punches us, to throw spears when people are throwing spears at us. And we've been taught how to interact with one another. We don't come as a blank slate. Our situations, our families, our upbringings, our culture, they teach us how to act how to think, how to speak to one another. I want to be real about this before we dive into the text. We live in a giant formation machine. That's what our culture is. It forms us. It teaches us. It instructs us. Everything has a message for us today, right? Everything has a cause or agenda. My four-year-old son's cereal box has an agenda sometimes. I don't understand how to comprehend this. I'm like, why does a cereal box need to... Like, be teaching me and have an opinion on human sexuality. Anybody answer that one for me today? Just being honest. It's like it's crazy. This is our world. It reminds me of something John Tyson said in his book, Beautiful Resistance. He tells a story about uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the German pastor and theologian at the time of Hitler's rise to power. And Bonhoeffer had started to train fellow believers in secret, uh, a secret kind of discipleship school during that time. Some of his friends thought he was being a bit too radical with those people he had gathered and was instructing as followers of Jesus. And one of his friends even came to visit him and asked him, like, is this level of spiritual formation necessary? Is it truly necessary? And in response, Bonhoeffer put him in a boat and rowed him across the Oder Sound, marched him up a hill, and from that vantage point at the top of the hill, they were able to overlook a bustling Nazi military operation. And as they watch the soldiers being trained and marching and doing drills and all that stuff, being trained relentlessly for the service of what he called a kingdom of hardness and cruelty, he simply told his friend, in essence, our level of devotion and formation must be stronger than that. Our level of commitment and desire for God to shape us must match and indeed exceed what our world can do, because the world is constantly being shaped. If it's not by a totalitarianism regime, social media has far supplanted that kind of propaganda, right? In our time, we likely take in more propaganda in a week than the Nazis printed in a couple decades. And yet we still ask this question, don't we? Is it really necessary? Is it really necessary to commit to the kind of discipleship and spiritual formation that Scripture calls us to, that Paul commands us to be part of? And the answer is a resounding yes. It's a resounding yes. What God calls us to in passages of Scripture like this, it could better be described not just as transformation, but counterformation. Because we've come in preformed. We've come in informed by our world. We've come in with habits and patterns, and we need to commit ourselves to allowing God to counterform us in his ways. This must be stronger than that. For the rest of this chapter, Romans chapter 12, Paul is going to teach us something about the counterformational practices of Jesus and what Jesus calls us to. He commands us, to follow and obey Jesus in some specific ways. And before we get into them, we should recognize these aren't things that are easy for us. They're not things that are easy for us to do. They contradict how we've been formed and shaped by our world, sometimes by our families. They fly in the face of maybe what's conventional wisdom. They're not common sense. They're uncommon sense. These things that Paul asks us to do, they require help from heaven every day. If God doesn't give us the grace to do them, they're not going to happen in our lives. If we step out in faith and follow Jesus in this way, if he doesn't show up, we're going to fall on our faces. That's the kind of stuff Paul's inviting us to. But this is the life of faith. This is stepping out in obedience. Even when it's not within me, I know I can't muster up (laughs) the faith and the strength and the fortitude of will to do some of this stuff on my own. And even when we don't have it in us, It's amazing how God supplies the power. That's actually the promise he gives. Step out in faith and by my spirit, you'll be able to do these things. So let's let's see what Paul invites us to and let him be the one who worries about the details, amen? I love what James D.G. Dunn says. He reminds us that... Living the ways of Jesus is not something we just choose to do. It always requires the Holy Spirit to do work in and through our lives. He says this. He says, the Spirit of God transcends human ability and transforms human inability. God's Spirit in me transcends My abilities, maybe my natural abilities, I might be quite proud of some of them. God takes them way further than I could ever take them. And the things that I cannot do, my weaknesses, he transforms them within me. Amen? Aren't you thankful that in our weakness, his strength is perfect? So let's dig in with Paul for a few minutes this morning. In this passage, he calls us to interact with people. He talks about how we are with one another. And he kind of starts more broadly, the way that we're to be, with people who maybe are outside the family of God, people who persecute us. Sometimes they're inside the family of God, but usually he's talking about outsiders here. And then he speaks about how we are to be united within the family of God. Like he said to the Galatians, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of faith. And as God's people, we're called to stand out in the way that we treat everybody. All people to love our neighbors as ourselves was Jesus's command, right? And in verse fourteen, Paul calls us to do something that has honestly been the calling card of Christians since the very beginning—the mark of Christians from the beginning. He calls us to love our enemies like Jesus. He echoed the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus said this in Luke chapter six, verses twenty-seven to twenty-nine. He says, "But to you who are listening, I say this: love." Your enemies do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to him the other as well. If someone takes your coat from you, don't withhold your shirt from him as well. The commands of Jesus that Paul is reiterating to us in Romans 12. And when Jesus and Paul call us into action like this, you know, this isn't just some fluffy sentiment about loving everyone, is it? This is some concrete stuff. These are difficult things, but they're, they're hard and fast commands, and it's totally countercultural. It's totally different. It'll make you stick out like a sore thumb in our world. If you haven't realized it by now, loving your enemies is like nonsensical to 2023 America, right? We don't do this. We know how to throw spears real good. We know how to undermine, eye roll, passive-aggressive each other to death. But loving our enemies, that's not something we're trained by our world. It's not normal in our culture. Because the formation machine of our world can't teach us this. Only the Spirit of God can develop this in us. Only the Word of God can shape this in us. And only He can give us the power to carry it out. This isn't a fluffy love with no conviction attached, like the world teaches us. The world teaches a lot of ways to hate, but it cannot teach us this. As John Tyson says, he says, you cannot show compassion to those you're being trained to despise. We're being trained to despise a lot of people in our world. Others, them, whatever it is. God wants to teach us how to love our enemies, how to do good to all people, amen? Paul says this, bless those who curse us. What does that mean? What does it mean to bless someone? I mean, this is church. We probably hear things like, oh, bless you, brother, way more often than the average person in America, right? But what does that actually mean? Have you ever stopped and thought about it? Like, what does that mean? Is it just something you say after somebody sneezes? What is blessing? Uh, Vicky from Georgia, who's part of our church, has informed me that in Georgia they say, bless your heart. And they actually mean it. It's not a, a sarcastic, like, oh, you idiot, <laughs> right? Oh, bless your heart, you're hopeless, right? That's how we do it up here. Or maybe that was just me. Um, Vicky told me that they're being honest. They're not patronizing or sarcastic with it when they say, bless your heart. But wh- what does Paul mean by bless those who curse you? Well, in the Greek, it means simply this, to speak well of them or to praise them. The word is actually eulogio, you think like eulogize. When you give a eulogy at a memorial service, what are you doing? You're commemorating and celebrating the realities of a person's life. That's what Paul's calling us to do. He's saying eulogize every person you meet constantly. Speak well of them. Praise them. It's the same thing Jesus says in Matthew 5 and Luke chapter 6. And Jesus actually kind of goes further. He says, actually love them. Agapate. It's a command. Love them Literally, wish well for them. Take pleasure in them. So let's get real here. Let's get practical. We may not ever experience the kind of persecution that they had in the you know, early church. We may not go through things like Patrick of Ireland went through. But this is not in our nature to do, even when someone is being mildly annoying to us, is it? Like somebody comes around, you've got like that frustrating person in your life. It's not in our nature to speak well of them, wish well for them, encourage them, pick them up, love them, take pleasure in them. That's not something that we're normally trained to do in our world. Let alone if somebody is lying about you, cursing you, threatening you. This sounds insane. Paul has lost his mind. To wish well for people, to care for their needs, to be with them when they're hurting speaking well of them the whole way, even when they're cursing you, that's not normal. It's not normal, people. But that's what God wants to call us to do. That's who we're called to be as followers of Jesus. And here's the thing that caught me about this. When we talk about blessing those who curse you, there's like a special focus on what's coming out of our mouth. let we'll take a minute today and get a little touchy, if that's okay. You still with me? Yeah. What's coming out of our mouth matters. Do you know that? Do you realize how powerful your words are? Do you realize how important the words that you speak to one another are? Proverbs 18.21 tells us this, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of your tongue, and the way that you speak to your husband or wife, to your children. Death and life, you're speaking into them. Do you know how powerful your words are? Let me see if I can bring it home for you. You and I were made in the image of God. We were made after the likeness of the one who with his words spoke planets into orbits and by his word, Hebrews tells us, sustains everything that we see. By his words, we were made in his image and he made you and I uniquely so that our words have power as well. Our words matter as well. Our words carry meaning as well. The first job of mankind, what was it? Anyone? Name everything, impart meaning into the world, speak purpose and identity all over the place. That's what God taught humanity to do. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. James says this, and I want to invite you to listen here with what Paul said in mind, bless those who curse you. James chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, I've got the NIV, he says this, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. This should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? What's James getting at? He says, Blessings and curses are coming from the same source. We shouldn't be this way. He's calling us to say, Hey, we got a choice involved to become a people of blessing and not a people of cursing. We have to trust as God teaches us how to reign in the tongue. I can't think of anything more practical than this. In our culture of outrage, learning to hold your tongue is incredibly important. Amen? I love how he reminds us, how James reminds us here of the truth. He says this, you and I were made in God's image, but guess what? We're not the only one. Every person that our words will touch, every life that our words will impact, maybe maybe every person that our words are about, they were made in God's image too. They belong to him. He loves them. You know, that should make us think twice before kind of carelessly uttering some stuff, right, about people. That should make us seem, like, really, really take a pause and go, should I say that or not? See, what happens when we're cursed by people, when we feel pressured by people who disagree with us even, when we're, you know, Scripture says when we're pressed and crushed, what happens is what's in us comes out of us. And Paul wants us to be so full of the spirit of God and so full of God's unstoppable love that even when people are pushing us to the limit, what's flying back out of our mouths and out of our lives is blessing is the love that we were shown. Even to those who are the ones doing the crushing. See, we've been forgiven much, so let's forgive much. We've been shown grace and mercy, so let's be people who extend grace and mercy. We've been blessed, even though none of us deserve it, so let's be a people of blessing. Amen? Amen. Again, we bless, we speak to the reality of each person we meet. And here's the thing about speaking to the reality of the people that we meet. You know, other places in Scripture say we speak the truth in love. Amen? What does that mean? Well, like our good friend Gary Spicer says, we speak the truth to what is true. You know, the truth may be that somebody's frustrating you like crazy. I'm like the shallow side and on the deep side, they may be totally in the wrong and oppressing you. That may be true about your situation, but the truth is that every single person that we encounter is a work of art, is a masterpiece of God. Someone created in his image, dearly loved, and actually desired by him. So even if they're totally in the wrong, even if they're totally ignoring what God's asking them to do and doing you harm, they're still made in his image. That's what That's what Paul's saying. That's what James is saying to us here. They may be running from God. They may be living totally opposite of God's ways. But nevertheless, God still cares about them, and we should too. God still wants them, and we should too. And we need to speak to the reality. You were made in God's image. This isn't you. But we do it in love. We do it in love. That's true about every life we encounter. Made in God's image and dearly loved by him. Bless those who curse you, Paul says. Love your enemies. We see this in Jesus more than anyone. You see, even from the cross, Jesus prayed, he blessed, and he forgave those who put him on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But I know they were made in your image. I know that they matter to you. So God, don't hold this against them. What incredible, incredible love the master shows us. Amen? Now, this isn't easy for us. This isn't something that will ever come naturally to us. But by His Spirit, God wants to enable you and me to do miracles like this. Because this is a miracle to live this way. Make no mistake. This is supernatural. It's not in us, it will never be in us. And it is totally countercultural in our world. This will make you stick out. But this has been the calling card of Christians in every generation. This has been our namesake. This is the mark of disciples of Jesus from the beginning. The historian. Larry Hurtado, who studied Roman-era Christianity, he captured how confused the Romans were by how Christians acted, because they were oppressing them, persecuting and all that stuff, and they couldn't figure the Christians out. And he passes along a quote from a Roman writer, and it says this, though dishonored, slandered, insulted, and cursed, they bless in return and offer respect. When unjustly punished... They rejoice as if they're being brought to life. Though hated and wronged, Christians love those who hate them. That's been from the beginning. And it still applies to us. But you know what happened in Rome? This kind of radical, insane love that the world can't quite comprehend or get their head around, it turned the Roman world upside down. John Tyson put it like this, they loved the Roman Empire to its knees. That's the power of saying, God, I don't know how to do this, but you're calling me to do this, so I'm going to step out in obedience and trust you've got a plan to help me do this. That's what starts to happen. Chains get broken. Generational problems cease to exist. Forgiveness flows. And God does miracles in our midst. It isn't ever going to be easy for you and I But from what I can tell, Paul's not saying this is a suggestion. He's saying this is a command, people. Paul continues, and he sort of zeroes in a little bit in verses 15 and 16. He kind of addresses, okay, so with outsiders, we need to have this crazy countercultural love. And then with one another in the family here, this is how we're to walk it out. You see, he wrote this letter, Romans, to a group of people. Not to a person, but to a people. And today, as we read this, he addresses this group of people. Remember, like he said to the Galatians, we do good to all people, but especially to those in the house, in the family with us. And he calls us to a genuine love. CJ talked with us last week about this kind of love we're supposed to have with one another. Genuine love. Paul calls us to be connected in the body and deeply care for one another. To live and move is one. He uses the word harmony along the way. He says, you know, we need to live in harmony with one another. We started this series by talking about God as if we're the orchestra and he is the conductor conducting, right? Reality is we're all so different from one another. We all have so many challenges, personality differences, all this stuff. Only God can make sense of this. Only the master composer can work us together into something beautiful when we trust him and let him do so. Paul says to live in harmony. Harmonies are pretty important in music, right? I'm not a a musician, but how many of you guys are musicians out there and say, yeah, harmonies, they make a difference, right? If we have 15 people up here on stage and they're all singing the exact same melody line, guess what's going to happen? One, it's going to get louder, but it's not going to be more beautiful. In fact, what usually happens if that takes place is you get somebody who's really belting it out and somebody getting drowned out, right? Fifteen people singing the same melody, it doesn't make things more beautiful. Harmonies are important. Harmonies are about complementing one another, leaving space for one another, not always being the center of attention, having the spotlight on our lives, letting somebody else come alongside, steal the show, and cheering them on while they do it. That's what harmony is about. The glory of a symphony is in its harmonies where individual parts make the whole beautiful and glorious. Paul is urging us when he says live in harmony with one another, he says, you know, truly embrace life together. Fully give yourselves to one another in a way that lifts each other up and brings glory to God. Live with one another, commit to one another, be present with one another. And he says this, and this is a verse that has spoken to me many, many times, he says this, celebrate with those who celebrate and mourn with those who mourn. Celebrate with those who celebrate. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who are mourning. Moving in harmony with one another and genuine love as Christ's body, it means we are together in the good moments and the bad moments. We're present, we're available, we're with each other when you're going through something, or when you're having the best day of your life, we're ready to celebrate. Again, this isn't something that's natural to us either, is it? Let me explain. You know, we, myself included, I'm preaching to myself here, when I'm feeling good, I prefer to stick in that moment where I'm feeling good, right? When I'm feeling great, you know, I don't really want to go on and encounter somebody who's feeling terrible, right? That's why we say things, like, hey, just don't rain on my parade, right? Because real. Like, hey, I'm feeling pretty good. You're a Debbie Downer. Get out of here. This is our world. I'm just being honest, and it, it's here, too. It's in me, too. It's in you, if we're honest today. Choosing to be with somebody in their pain isn't normal to us. After all, the mantra of our age is really simple. It's that pain is something to be avoided, medicated, and totally just forgotten at all costs. Pain doesn't have to exist for you, Right? Pain is evil, actually, is what we believe. So if we don't want to endure any pain, how on earth could it be logical that we would willingly subject ourselves to somebody else's pain and take it on our shoulders? Doesn't make sense. Not normal. Countercultural. It's way easier to just simply avoid those people who we know are going through something when we're happy. You know, I'm feeling pretty good right now. It's been a rough time. I finally got out of that hole. Please don't come around me with your stuff. That's way easier. The opposite's also true. When we're going through our own stuff, and we all go through stuff, when we're struggling, you know, when I'm struggling and having a hard time, probably the last thing I want to do is be around that happy-go-lucky dude who just everything seems to be going right for him. I don't understand it, right? Anybody? Am I just talking to myself this morning? No. Yes. Okay. Well, you have to listen to me, so it's okay. <laughs> you gotta play my games. Seriously, though, like when I, when I'm like feeling defeated overwhelmed, under the gun. I mean, when I encounter that friend who's like having a great time and having success everywhere they turn, it's like, oh, they won the lottery too. Of course you did. (laughs) Let's be real. This isn't normal. Now, it is true. If you're in pain, if you're struggling with something, you don't need to like put yourself around people who don't care anything about your pain. That's not what Paul's calling us to here. But I think he is warning us about something in a subtle way. You see, God wants to meet us in our pain. He wants to be with us in the valleys. He promises, you're going to find me no matter how deep you think you've sunk. I'll be there. And he wants to bring us into healing. He wants to give us peace that transcends understanding in that place. That's who God is. But I find this. Sometimes when I'm in a tough place, when I'm in pain, when I'm struggling with something, uh, I don't actually exactly want to let God in sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes I don't want to let him in, because I know, I know that if I come to him, he's going to ask me to put some things on the altar, maybe. He's going to ask me to surrender that pain to him. Sometimes it's bitterness, and bitterness can actually feel really good. It's weird, self-righteous bitterness, right? Like, they wronged me. I'm not going to let that go. But God will make us give him those things. Because I know that, sometimes I struggle to do it. Just be honest in church today. Sometimes I struggle to release things to him. And the problem with bitterness is that it just festers. It, it, it does not let go of you. We've talked about bitterness. Bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, right? When we have bitterness in our hearts, and we, we allow our pain to become something that makes us bitter, seeing somebody else that is free, it can feel like a knife in our soul. You know, we live in a world that's driven by comparison. Social media shows us everybody else's highlight reel everywhere. It's like a bitterness pill, social media. Because you're like, my life doesn't look like that, right? And when we see that kind of stuff, it can feel like a personal attack on us. Like, God, why can't I have that? Okay, everything's good for you. If we're not careful, we get stuck in our moment. For are holding on to unforgiveness, last thing we want to do is hear stories about forgiveness. The enemy wants to keep us in this place. He wants to keep us trapped in our pain. Or when we're having a great time and everything's going well, he wants to keep us pretending that pain doesn't exist, actually, and don't, don't you dare go to that person who's struggling because they're going to kill your vibe. You see, the picture of emotional honesty with one another the picture of being with each other and the highs and the lows, being available for each other, even when our our seasons are not the same and clash, like I'm having a great time and you're struggling, that's not natural, what Paul's calling us to. It's not one of, you know, just bearing your pain and putting on a brave face either. He calls us to be connected to one another deeply, to care about each other deeply, in a love that bears one another's burdens and yet, it's also free to celebrate one another's victories. That's a level of connection that realizes we're going to go through some things in life. We're going to have some ups and downs in different seasons, but when those things come, we're committed to one another. We want to be with one another because God is with us. Amen? This is a lifestyle of intercession. You know, it's more intercession. How many of you guys know that intercession isn't just a way to pray? When we talk about intercessory prayer. Prayer, praying for people and their needs. It's not just a way to pray, it's a way to live. It's a way for us to live. I love what Dave Buring describes about intercession. If any of you guys had the Lion share app and have been following those attributes of God, he's been sharing about God as our intercessor. The one from, I think, March 15th, he says this. It's great. It's a scenario he paints. He says, there's two things here I want to tell you. Scenario number one, you're on a big ship in a big ocean and you see a little boat with people in it and it's sinking. So you run to the captain of your big ship, and you say, hey, captain, we gotta do something. There's people overboard, and they're sinking. That's scenario one. Scenario number two, you're still on that same big ship in that same big ocean, looking out and seeing the same little boat sinking. But this time, instead of going to the captain from the safety of your big boat and just saying, we've gotta help, you dive off the ship, swim to that little boat, and stand there with those people and say, hey, captain, Come get us. We need you. We need your help. He says, that's what intercession looks like. That's what intercession looks like. And and yeah, that sounds crazy to leave the big boat for the little boat. That's not normal. It never will be normal unless you have absolute certainty that that captain's going to hear you and that he's going to get himself involved. Amen? Unless the one that you're praying to, you know that he wants to move in the situation of this little boat too. You see, if you have absolute certainty that the captain hears you and is going to involve himself, then you can dive off that boat with confidence, can't you? Because you know it's not, that's not the end right there. That's the beginning. That's transformation on the way, right? You see, as the body of Christ, we're called to be with each other like that, to engage each other no matter what season we're in, to pray for one another like this. We're called to get out of our situation and into one another's boats like this, Douglas Moo comments on this command of Paul to, you know, bear one another's burdens, to to rejoice with those who rejoice and suffer with those who suffer. And he says this, he says, We display this harmony, the deep-seated harmony that the Spirit creates amongst believers by making other believers' joys and sorrows our own. We take it on. That's not the way we'll ever be trained by our world. It's totally impossible without the Spirit of God creating it within us as his people, right? But here's the thing. If we will step out in faith, if we'll say, God, this is a command, I'm going to obey you. I don't have it in me, but I'm going to trust you. If we'll obey the call of Jesus, he promises, I will be with you and I will enable you. And I will do things through you that you can't explain. That'll make us stick out. Jesus says, that's how living like this, this kind of love, is how the world, unbelievers in our world, will know that we really belong to him and that he really changes lives because if he didn't change our lives, there's no way we'd be doing that kind of thing, right? That's how the world will know that we belong to him. They will, you will know that we're Christians by the love we share like this. That's John chapter 13. Four chapters later, Jesus gets a little crazier and he says this. He says, the world will know that I'm the real deal that I'm the Messiah by the way you live in harmony like this. Church, that's a scary thought, isn't it? The world will know that Jesus is real by the way we love one another and are united to one another and living in harmony with one another. That's a report card that I'd probably rather not visit sometimes, if I'm being honest about myself. It's not in me. (laughs) The baffling love that we're called to share with one another, that's not something that's in us. It is a supernatural thing. It is a miracle of God that he wants to do in our lives if we'll step out in faith and obey him because he is ever faithful. He is totally faithful, unchanging, but we have to choose to step out and step into this lifestyle with him. So question is what holds us back? What holds us back from living with one another this way, from surrendering and saying, God, okay, I'm trusting you. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going to trust you What holds us back? Well, Paul wraps up this thought like this. He says, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. He nails two things here, pride and the fear of man. You know, we've talked a lot about pride in Romans 12 because ultimately, you know, the command to lay down our self-sufficiency and self-centeredness is everywhere in this passage. So I'm not gonna beat a dead horse this morning, but I do wanna touch for a moment on the fear of man. Fear of man is something that scripture talks about. You know, it means caring more about what people think than what God thinks. Paul talks here about a social pecking order. You know, there are people of high position, there are people of low position. There are those cool people who got everything together and those ordinary people who are a little bit screwed up. Social pecking order. Followers of Jesus stood out like crazy, particularly in the Roman world, because they blended people from across all social strata, from across all ethnicities as one family. That had never been seen on earth before. That was unheard of. In fact, it was even threatening to the social order of their day. And you know what? In our day, it's still far easier just to go with the flow, to go with people who look like you, think like you, talk like you, whatever. It's still way easier to fall Follow along with the unwritten rules of our society, but Jesus calls us to each other to one another, to ordinary people, regardless of the world's hierarchies around us. He says, "You know what? don't let the world tell you who's most important. let me tell you who's most important. You make yourself available to all people There's an opportunity for us if we if we'll trust him and do things that are not normal to us, if we'll step out in faith and obey. You know, how many of you guys have ever said, I just want a special touch from the Lord. I want to feel him closer right now. Anyone? Okay, three people want to feel the Lord closer. We're making progress this morning. Here's the reality. He promises his presence when we do this. He promises his presence when we do what doesn't make sense to us, but he commands us. Think about that for a minute. Let's do some reverse psychology here for a minute. That means if we'll do some crazy things, we will feel him, see him move in ways we can't explain. You want to feel a touch from God? Step out in faith. Do something that makes you a little uncomfortable. That's what Paul's saying here. There is an opportunity in this. Yeah, it might sound like, oh my gosh, how can I live this out? You You can't. You can't, but by his grace, which is made perfect in your weakness, if you'll trust him, you will experience the move of his spirit in your life like you haven't before, and that's something I want. Amen? So how do we step out in faith and look at these commands Paul gives us and ask the spirit to reveal to us. How do we do this in our lives? First thing, you know, to echo the words of Jesus, you can just ask, God, who are the least of these to me, right? Jesus said, even as you do unto the least of these, those ordinary people, those down and outers, those people the world forgot about, who are those people in your life? Who is it for you? Or maybe I should ask like this, who's that person who frustrates the junk out of you, right? Who is that person who just annoys you to no end in your life. I'm sorry, I'm pushing some serious buttons here. Okay, I'm not that sorry. Uh, Look, let's be honest. Who are those people? If we follow the example of Jesus and not the survival of the fittest, climb the ladder ways of our world, if we surrender our pride, if we're willing to be associated with people of low position, you know what we're doing? We're coming to the potter as that lump of clay. We're letting him put us back on the wheel and reshape the way that we act, the way that we function, the way that we think, the way that we speak. We're giving him permission to change us. That's what we're doing. And no matter what holds us back from that, whether it's pride or the fear of man or busyness or apathy, whatever holds us back from living out his ways, I promise you, it pales in comparison to the life that he has waiting for you when you'll let him lead you. Say, so I'm following you no matter where you take me, Lord. It looks like pure stupidity to me. But you said it, so I'm going to see it. I'm trusting. Amen? These are counterformational things Paul asks us to do. They will never, ever, ever be easy to us. In fact, in our own strength, they are 100% impossibilities. But again, to quote Gary Spicer, unless you've got some impossibilities in your life, you're not a candidate for a miracle. You want to see miracles, put yourself in the impossible place. Trust the Holy Spirit's going to do things that you can't do, amen? They're impossible in our own strength because we come to God already formed by our world, by our culture, by our upbringing, and no amount of our good intentions is going to make us good at this stuff. It just won't happen. But I want to leave you with this thought. Remember, none of this has anything to do with your best efforts. None of it. It is not about your best efforts. It's about trusting God. It's about trusting Him because He wants to reshape our lives. In fact, that's kind of His specialty is reshaping broken things. You know, the image we put up on the screen that kind of marks this whole Romans 12 series for us is the potter at the wheel the potter at the wheel. And this image in scripture comes from Jeremiah 18. God says to Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. And the potter has this broken, marred, ugly, misshapen, messed up piece of pottery. And he puts it back on the wheel. And with skillful and tender hands, he reshapes it into something beautiful. And then God drops this one in there and he says, can't I do with you the same thing? With your life, Whether you feel broken or messed up or like you missed the boat or whatever, I specialize in reshaping. You are already shaped by the world, and the world will shape you in some warped ways. But God lives, longs to fix these things in us, to counterform us into his image and the way he always created us to be. This is his specialty, and by his spirit, he wants to reshape our lives from the inside out to transform us and take us from glory to glory. Amen? In Ezekiel 36, God says this to his people, and I'll paraphrase. He says this, I'm going to bring you back to me. I'm going to bring you back to me. I'm going to clean you up. And I will remove that heart of stone in you and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that beats like mine. I'll put my spirit in you, and you'll be able to live out my way. So guess what? It's not about you and your best efforts because my heart is stone cold. But God every day wants to take that heart out and give me a heart that cares about people, even my enemies, that is able to engage people in their hard moments, and even when I'm having a hard time can still celebrate their victories. God wants to give us the ability to do this, and he promises that to us. That's a promise. If we'll trust him, if we'll bring our whole self to him as a living sacrifice and let him counterform our lives, he will renew us from the inside out and enable us. He will transcend our abilities and transform our inabilities. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me and the worship team can come back up. We're going to go back into worship for a few minutes. I want to spend some time reflecting to bring our whole selves to God again. And this is, you know, we've restructured our services for this reason. We want to have some time of worship so we can just stand in awe of God and how gracious and wonderful he has been to us. And then we can come to him for the strength we don't have. Amen? And that's something we want to do together. We want to do that as one. So I just want to encourage you again to pray with one another as we worship. This is vital to our faith. When we feel the Holy Spirit Messing with us, maybe God put a person. When I said, "Who's that annoying person?" You maybe you brought somebody's face to mind. You're like, I need to pray with somebody. How's the moment, guys? Let's not leave this place until we come to God and say, "Hey, give me that heart of flesh. Help me to do the impossible, Lord. I'm trusting you." So pray with one another. Maybe it's a family member who's here, or a U plus two group friend. Go find someone. I'll be at the side to pray. There'll be others at the side to pray. But let's go to heaven's throne together for the strength that we don't have, amen? Let's go and allow the Holy Spirit to keep working on us. As we're coming in today, you might have seen on your seat a little sheet as well. It says, transform me. And if you're watching online, you can look at the comments and a link to it for you. There's some things from Romans 12 that I've been chewing on, and I hope you'll chew on with me. You know, Paul, in this passage, he calls us to really truly look at ourselves, and assess ourselves. He calls us to be others focused and he calls us to let God counterform our lives. So I want to invite you, you know, if if you're here and you take that, stick it in your Bible. I made it a half sheet for a reason. It fits really nice in the Bible. Take it home prayerfully, read through it. Let God continue to work on you, amen? As followers of Jesus, this is what we want God to do with us. To shape and reshape our lives. And above all, We come to him and just simply say, yes, God, I'm following you wherever you lead, amen? So let's come in that posture, that place of worship together, and let's let him supply the strength and the wisdom we need to live out this life with him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you are forever faithful. And God, we know when you said to each of us, follow me, and we said, yes, it's gonna take us to places we couldn't imagine. Sometimes those places are uncomfortable for us, God. But we come to you knowing you're not asking us to do these things in our strength, but you're promising us if we will follow and obey, step out in faith, you'll supply the strength. So Holy Spirit, we invite you, come and take out our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Put us back on the wheel and reshape us. We know we've got built-in tendencies from our world. We come to you with some things that need to be reshaped in us. We give you permission to do just that. And Holy Spirit, as we worship today, would you just be present, unlocking things in our hearts, undoing unforgiveness and bitterness, helping us to become once again your body the way you dreamed it to be. We put our lives back in your hands. We come to you as living sacrifices. We invite you to transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship him. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We pray this message has been a blessing to you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave us a review. It helps others find this content. If you want to connect with us, head over to social media or go to wordofgracechurch.com.